Welcome to Living with Louis, a two-part podcast about Louis body dementia, produced by the Louis Body Society and ITN Business, with generous support from the National Lottery Community Fund. Hello, my name's Ashley Baston, and I'm the founder and chair of trustees of the Louis Body Society. And I'm here today with some very good friends who are all part of the Louis Body family and here to talk about their journeys and their stories. And first of all, I would really like to thank the National Lottery because without their funding, we wouldn't be here today in ITN studios. So I have with me Chris Maddox and Rachel Thompson and John O'Brien, and I'm going to let them tell you a little bit more about themselves, starting with my friend Chris Maddox. Chris is living with Louis Body. She's a former police officer and an ambassador to the Louis Body Society. So, Chris, please could you talk about your journey? How you got yes, there? sure, yeah. It probably first started when I had a series of minor strokes between 2013 and 2015, which left me with extreme fatigue and problems with my recall and recollection. So I went to hospital, and there the consultant referred me to the elderly care assessment unit. I was 60 years old, just the name of that unit, elderly care assessment. Thinking I was just being assessed at the unit, I was shocked to be given a diagnosis of vascular dementia. After the word dementia, I can't remember anything else that was said to me. I left there with no information or referral to any services. In 2018, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I had a tremor in my right hand and arm. In 2020, I was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia. I'd lost my sense of taste and smell, and that was before COVID. I was bumping into things and always covered in bruises, so a bit of lack of spatial awareness. I had restless and really painful legs, difficulty getting to sleep at night and staying asleep. Lack of energy. I had anxiety and low mood. Also some balance issues. I noticed changes cognitively. I was more forgetful. I had swollen difficulties and little interest in doing things. And I was forgetting to do things. I had difficulty concentrating and staying focused. And I just want to share with you my feelings, how I felt emotionally following that diagnosis. I was scared, lonely, isolated, frightened, emotional, frustrated, useless, lost. I became depressed. So I got a diagnosis, but I had no follow-up services. And so I went into depression for about three months when I didn't even want to leave my home. I felt useless and I felt hopeless. People don't realise the emotional effect it has on you. And what do you find the the biggest challenge about that, about your post-diagnostic life? I find it very difficult to multitask now. I was very good at that before. Having been a police officer for 30 years, I had to multitask all the time and, you know, try and do six things at once. But I can't do that now. If you asked me to do three things, I probably wouldn't do any of them. But if you asked me to do one thing and I go and do that one thing, then you ask me to do the next thing, I can do it. But it's too much for my brain to process multiple questions or multiple tasks. I want to bring in Rachel Thompson, who's a consultant, admiral nurse, specialising in in Lewy body dementia, and is sponsored by the Lewy Body Society for the last two years. Rachel, could you tell us about your background and how you became a admiral nurse? Yeah, hi, my name's Rachel Thompson. I'm the consultant admiral nurse for Lewy Body Dementia and funded by the Lewy Body Society. Um, why did I come into this role? Um, 
I started my nursing career many, many years ago and gradually got attracted towards working in dementia care. I became an Admiral nurse, which are dementia specialist nurses in 1999, and then did that for a number of years. And my experience of working with people with Lewy body at the time was that actually, one, it wasn't diagnosed, two, incredibly neglected, and that people had really, really difficult symptoms. And I realised I didn't understand enough about it. So when this role came up, it just felt like this is something I really want to do. I want to help make a difference. Could you explain what some of these more challenging symptoms are for people? So when we talk about Lewy body dementia, we talk about two conditions. We talk about dementia with Lewy bodies, and then we also talk about Parkinson's dementia. And both have the same disease process underlying it. It depends on which symptoms happen first. So if you have dementia with Lewy bodies, you might find that sometimes people have sleep changes, which, of course, you wouldn't associate with dementia necessarily. They can occur years before actually a diagnosis is made. We particularly see things like fluctuations in cognition. People may be apparently kind of functioning relatively well at one point and then later on they're really struggling and that can change massively from minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day. Some of the most distressing symptoms I would say probably are visual hallucinations and delusions. Now for some people, particularly I think in earlier stages, these, these may not be that distressing. People talk about seeing people in the room, animals sometimes, but sometimes these do become quite distressing so people get quite paranoid. And then, of course, on top of that, you then have the Parkinson's symptoms. So if you've got Parkinson's dementia, you've probably had Parkinson's symptoms for a while, you're not expecting another diagnosis on top of that. So that can bring its own challenges. But for people with dementia with Lewy bodies, then you've got the cognitive symptoms and then you almost have this horrible kind of double whammy of getting Parkinson's symptoms on top. And Chris has described some of those symptoms of things like changes in smell and taste, some of the movement disorders that we see, some of the stiffness, tremor. But do you know what? It's Every person is different. Can I say something about the um, hallucinations? Mm. Because sometimes I, I think that there's somebody stood next to me when they're not. But I can smell things that nobody else can smell sometimes. And it's always the smell of wood burning which I don't find unpleasant. It's quite a nice smell. But I always check with the people with me whether they can smell it as well as to whether it's real or whether it's my imagination. And there's a name for that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, that's an olfactory hallucination. Less common, but it can happen for some people. Probably the most common is the visual hallucinations, but sometimes people do get what we call auditories when you hear things or, as you say, the olfactory. But yes, it's really variable. Rachel, the Admiral Nurse Service provides help for families in their homes and the patients, but what other support is there out there for people and families with dementia? Yeah, well, as we know, there are a lot of people who have this diagnosis. So, you know, we think it's 10 to 15%, perhaps more, of the dementia. So, you know, at least 100,000 people across the UK. So what I always say to people, I mean, obviously we would encourage people to contact the Admiral Nurse Helpline or book an appointment, find out if there is a local Admiral Nurse in their area because that can be really helpful. But also, you know, using what we call the statutory services, so going to the GP. Sometimes people have to kind of encourage their GP to refer them on. So if you haven't got a diagnosis, getting referred to the memory service it might be that a neurologist may be helpful, but the most important thing is getting the diagnosis correct. 
And this is the thing that we see families often get a misdiagnosis. Chris had a journey, didn't you, Chris, with different yeah, diagnoses yeah. first. Quite often people have a whole range of diagnoses before they get the accurate diagnosis. So getting the diagnosis is the first step. And after that, it's finding out what local services are available because it can be isolating. You know, some of the families I support actually are just struggling. They're bereft. They don't know who to turn to. They may have been given a diagnosis and then, as Chris described, not necessarily offered the support. So I often say to people, there may be some local groups, particularly for families, um, dementia cafes, finding peer support can be really helpful. I was just going to say, uh, Ashley, that um, Louis Body Society and the Admiral Nurse and Rachel in particular were my lifesavers. Oh, that's so nice. When I had my Louis Body Dementia diagnosis, I knew nothing about dementia. And you're unique in as much as Louis Body Society is the only one that deals with one particular form of dementia. So I can honestly say that Louis Body Society and Rachel's support from, from myself and my partner was a lifesaver to us. That's so nice to hear. Because when my mother was diagnosed in 2005, there was absolutely nothing. And um, so I started the Louis Body Society. Chris, uh, what was the response, reaction of your family and, and friends when you received your diagnosis of, of Louis body? It's an interesting point. I lost a few of my friends and I couldn't understand why because I was still me. I was still the same person as I was the day before I had my diagnosis. But I think it's ignorance and lack of understanding. And with my family, they said, don't be so silly, you haven't got dementia. You're too young to have dementia. My parents were no longer alive, but my brother and sister both said, well, we can't look after you. I gave them a leaflet explaining all about the dementia and how it affected me, but they never discussed it. They suggested I move from Wales to England to live with my partner, and that's what I did. Well, there's certainly a stigma, and stigma is just ignorance and, and fear. And, and one of the things that we're hoping to do with the Louis Body Society is remove the stigma um, mm -hmm. I think that, that dementia is where cancer was 25 years ago. Yeah. People are just only starting to talk about it and not spell it out. They don't understand, but then they don't take the time to ask you questions. If they only said to me, how does your dementia affect you? I could tell them, but they don't, they've never asked that question. I've made a few silly mistakes, but um, I tend to laugh at them and not get upset at them. And I can remember one day I put the phone in the fridge so um, it had a bit of a chilling time. But yeah, I tried to laugh at those things and not get too worried about them because what's the point in worrying? Humour is so important, isn't it? Because it helps families get through really odd symptoms sometimes. So some of the families I've supported uh, where people have managed hallucinations and they're seeing things or hearing things that aren't there is that families use humour as a way to get through it. And distraction techniques as well. I'm going to bring in John now, who's been there since the beginning. Um, Professor John O'Brien, uh, would you tell everybody what your background is and how you got into Lewy Body Dementia? Thanks, Ashley. Yes, so I'm a psychiatrist by background. Um, and I specialise in old age psychiatry, a large part of which is working with people with dementia. And I followed a clinical academic route where you can combine clinical work with patients alongside teaching and research. And I developed my research interest in Lewy Body Dementia initially in, in Newcastle and now here in here in Cambridge. I think it started when I started my first research project in London with Raymond Levy. And at the time there were studies just beginning actually in Alzheimer's disease, 
looking at new drugs. And during that study, what was found was that Alzheimer's disease can sort of sometimes manifest or be diagnosed instead of Lewy body dementia. It also showed that people with Lewy body dementia did quite well with safer cholinergic drugs. These drugs are now recommended as sort of standard treatment if people want to take them for Lewy body dementia. And then the second thing was that having finished my training in London and, and Melbourne and other places, I was looking for a good academic centre and one that would uh, employ me. And I came across Newcastle as a fantastic place to be. They were starting new centre for health of the elderly, as it was called then. And they had a great research interest in Lewy body dementia. And in particular, I developed an interest in brain imaging. And there wasn't at that time much imaging or indeed much known about biomarkers, you know, how to diagnose Lewy body dementia. So I moved to Newcastle and we were able to do some, some exciting studies there with Ian McKeith, who's been a great mentor and is one of the sort of fathers of, of DLB uh, research. And uh, where, where does DLB research fit into the larger research scene as you see it? Well, as Rachel said, one bit of the research landscape is really understanding how dementia with Lewy bodies fits in with Parkinson's disease and Parkinson's disease dementia. And then the other is understanding how it fits in with other dementias, particularly Alzheimer's disease. And there's a lot of commonality between dementia with Lewy bodies and Alzheimer's disease. As we've heard, it's frequent misdiagnosis. So understanding how these things relate to each other is very important, both for diagnosis, getting the diagnosis right, but also for sort of management and knowing which treatments people will be best placed to be able to be helped by. And why, why is diagnosis such a challenge? Well, I think we've heard about it already from Chris, haven't we? It's very striking. Uh, in a programme we did, the Diamond Lewis study funded by the NIHR, we looked at this issue of diagnosis. And Chris, your experience, unfortunately, it's not uh, uncommon. In fact, we found that one in two people with dementia with Lewy bodies were actually diagnosed with something else first most commonly Alzheimer's disease or mixed dementia or, or, or as in your case, vascular dementia. So it's very, very common not to be recognised initially. Why is that? I think that uh, there are several reasons for it. I think that although there's much greater awareness now of, of dementia with Lewy bodies and its symptoms than there was a decade ago, there's still need for greater awareness. People don't think of it immediately when they see someone with cognitive impairment, whether that's in primary care or secondary care, simply because Alzheimer's disease is the most common diagnosis. Although we know that dementia with Lewy bodies is the second commonest cause, 10 to 15% of cases. So it's, it's a very common cause. Some of the symptoms people have, some of the things they notice, their families notice, they will overlap with other dementias. Not everybody with dementia with Lewy bodies has what we call the classic features of having some motor symptoms, some slowing of Parkinsonism, visual hallucinations, seeing things, sort of sleep disturbance or fluctuation. Those are classic features as well as the other things that, that Chris and Rachel have described. They're, they're difficult things sometimes to spot and not everyone has them. And although progress is advancing, we don't really have an absolute diagnostic test. You know, we have some scans that can help. We have some blood tests that are looking promising, but we don't have anything that you can absolutely have in terms of a test to say, yes, you definitely have dementia with Lewy bodies or, or you don't. John, can I mention something about when I had my diagnosis? Please. I was told I should have had a PET scan, which I never had. And the consultant said to me, um, you, I think you've possibly got Lewy body dementia. So I said, well, do I have it or don't I have it? And he replied to me, it can only be confirmed on autopsy. To which I said, well, I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> it left me very confused. 
Yeah, sure. It's not a helpful thing, is it, to be told? <laughs> and in fact, I, now with our, our current diagnostic criteria, you can be, you know, 80% maybe more certain um, dur during life with a combination of looking at, at, at symptoms, you know, clinical features, the physical examination and some tests. And yes, you're, you're quite right, Chris, there are brain scans that can help. There's one in particular that um, can be a PET scan or it can be a, a spec scan, very similar names I know, but they are slightly different, which looks at the levels of dopamine in the brain, that dopamine transporter it's called. And these levels are very low in about 80% of people with dementia with Lewy bodies, and they're normal in about 90% of people with Alzheimer's disease. So that's not an absolute diagnostic test. It's a pretty good differentiator between those two uh, disorders. So I think a scan looking at dopamine levels could have been very helpful. The other sort of PET scan that's done is looking at uh, metabolism of the brain. So that's actually how well glucose is taken up into the brain. And that does show different patterns in different dementias. So Alzheimer's disease will look slightly different from dementia with Lewy bodies, which will look slightly different from vascular dementia and, and frontotemporal dementia. And they're really the big four dementias that we see. So again, the PET scan is not 100%, but it can be helpful. So I think, yes, further investigations can certainly help. And I think in general, we're, we're not doing enough of these other tests, even though they are advocated by, by NICE, um, if there's diagnostic doubt. Why aren't you doing more of them? Is it, is it the cost? or? I think it's a number of things. I think the, the test can only be done if people suspect dementia with Lewy bodies. So that's got to be on people's radar. Right. So I think, again, when we did the Diamond Louise study, we found that even in, in secondary care memory services, a lot of people were not routinely being asked about whether they had visual hallucinations. They weren't routinely always being examined to look for some of the motor features of Parkinsonism. So it's got to be there in terms of awareness. Uh, this is awareness within the medical profession you're talking about. Yeah, I think it's awareness of everybody. I mean, the greater awareness is, whether that's in the general population, primary care or secondary care, the more likely people are to think that these symptoms are important to talk about when they go to clinic. Certainly they should be asked about them when they go to clinic. Um, so I think it's really at all levels. But yeah, we showed through the work that we did that if people do routinely ask in clinic about these particular symptoms, you can significantly increase the rates of diagnosis of DLB by about 35%. So you can really step up that diagnosis. So that the awareness, well, that's certainly part of the function of the mission of the Lewy Body Society, besides funding research, is to raise awareness. But but clearly, it has to be done on all levels: the general public and the medical profession. And later. yeah, I was just thinking. I often say to people, keep a diary, <laughs> keep a diary of symptoms. So if you're going to see your doctor, if you're going to see the memory service, the consultant, the neurologist, whoever it is. Just make a note of your main symptoms because I think, as John was saying, people may not ask about sleep. And I think from my experience, sleep is one of the most disabling things that can affect people. Not only the person who's got the condition, but, you know, the person who's looking after them as well. So keeping a diary of the kind of more unusual symptoms may be useful just to give people a prompt. The other thing that um, I was going to say was... Um, it scares me. I, I live for today, don't worry about tomorrow. But what scares me is the fact that I, there might come a time when I won't remember people, I won't know who, who people are. And that's the thing that I find most frightening. But I want to raise awareness because if I can help one person not to go through some of the things that I went through, 
that's that that's what matters to me is that what gives you hope yeah Good. it gives me a sense of purpose it gives me a reason to get out of bed in the morning and i think it keeps me well because i'm using my brain well you're doing a wonderful job as an ambassador oh i'm very proud of you i'm so proud to be an ambassador for oh. you too rachel what gives you hope is there uh, hope? Oh, gosh. There's always hope. We all need hope because that's what keeps us going. I've seen uh, an increase in understanding and an interest in Lewy Body Dementia. I think there's some positive moves around some of the new research. So we've had lots of breakthroughs around Alzheimer's. We need to have it for Lewy Body Dementia as well. So my hope is that happens. But we also have got to be realistic that we're living in a time where there sometimes isn't enough support actually for people. So my hope is that people raise awareness, that they start campaigning and start asking, you know, I need support. You know, this is a really difficult condition and I need support from professionals, from family, from friends. I think what would give me more hope as well is to actually get an annual review, which we're supposed to have of our conditions. Um, I haven't had one since my first diagnosis in 2016. My review needs to be with somebody who totally understands Lewy body dementia and I can tell them how I feel and how it affects me and any changes that I go through. Um, I'm not under any consultant at the moment, so who do I turn to? That's my biggest sort of worry. That's a big difficulty. Um, John, hope for the future. Yes, well, obviously people with dementia Lewy bodies now, like Chris, they need excellent clinical care and support. And, and as we've heard, that's that's sometimes lacking, but that's really, really important to, to get right. What gives me hope for the future is research, actually. I think that's the way we're going to tackle dementia. And I think although progress has been slow, there are some positive things that have happened. Uh, I think there have been some advances in diagnosis and so that we have better um, ways of being able to, to recognise and agree internationally about um, whether someone has dementia with bodies or not. And that's actually really important because unless we can agree and be able to recognise the same type of person with the same pathology with DLB, we're not going to be able to learn what we need to about the natural history of the disorder. We're not going to be able to do clinical trials to, to try and improve things. We're not going to be able to understand properly about brain mechanisms and things that are, that are going wrong. So I think there've been a great advances there. I think there've been strong networks developing and the Lewy Body Society has really been helpful in, in that regard. Um, so there are now strong networks in the UK, in Europe, uh, also in the US, and we, we, we collaborate closely together. I think there's good research infrastructure that we have in the, in the UK that's helpful for dementia research, but we need a lot more investment in research for dementia with Lewy bodies. But what's particularly hopeful is that we have got some good trials that have been done and that are ongoing. And the final thing is that we are having interest now from the pharmaceutical companies in, in looking at DLB and doing clinical trials. And that's actually very important because they have vast resource that they can invest. And if we're really going to get better treatments ultimately uh, for people with DLB, it is very important to have investment and interest by pharmaceutical companies as well as by uh, academic uh, side of things. It's been really lovely talking to you all today. Chris and John and Rachel, thank you so much for coming and talking about Lewy Body Dementia with us and with the people listening. And thank you again to the National Lottery. 
is Chris here and one thing I wanted to say is that's a wrap. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>